this is Samantha and welcome to the Layman's Doctor podcast. Today we have with us Jason Strawn who will be talking about, you know, a little bit about his journey. Just going to preface this, we still have COVID-19, so all our recordings are happening over the internet. So if you're having any issues with sound, just bear with us. Um, we have to stay safe during this time. Jason, thanks for joining us. I'm so happy that you said yes to being a part of this little kind of series that I want to put together. And I think I'm really excited speaking to you and getting to know how you got where you are. So can you just go ahead and give us a little rundown about who you are and what you're doing now? Um, Hey, Sam, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I've heard a lot about you, only great things for a long time. I've been a you know, observed you from afar. So, I mean, this is really great to be a part of. Um, all right, so a quick rundown on me. I have been a doctor since 2010, was in that graduating class, um, worked in pretty much every hospital within Sarah between 2010 and 2019, did some things outside. I'm in New York now for the past year and change working in medical in the medical legal industry. So right now, all the doctors will look at me and be like, you know, you're the enemy because I help lawyers decide to whether their malpractice um, suit or claim has any, you know, merit or not. So I more see myself as a patient advocate now still. And then still I, I help doctors too because Everyone will have a bad outcome and be like, you know, we want to sue. But the majority of the times, more than 80% of the times, I tell lawyers that, look, what happened is not negligence. It's not a standard of care deviation. The doctor didn't do anything wrong. This is just a bad outcome. So that's why I do know. Okay, great. Actually, medical legal, that's, um, I'm really interested in that, actually. I think that's our framework here in Jamaica. Could, we could we could get some help with it, you know, some guidance. And I don't know if you work with laws and policies as well, or it's just kind of privately about that. When you touched on Sarah, I just want to say that Sarah is a Southeast Regional Health Authority. So that includes what KPH, Kingston Public Hospital, the Bustamante Hospital for Children's, or is it Bustamante Children's Hospital? Whichever. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's BHC. I think I, think it's right. I always I always mix it up. Bustamante Hospital for Children, and then I think Princess Margaret is included in that. It is, and Spanish Town too. And Spanish Town Hospital as well. So those are the Southeast Regional Hospitals. So did you go to Princess Margaret? I did not go to Princess Margaret. We had we had to deal with them when I was at Boston in Ortho. Like you get accustomed to the children from St. Thomas who drop out of the tree and, you know, come with them fracture, radius, and whatever may need surgery. But the people, at, but, but, but the doctors at Princess Margaret are so overburdened because, I mean, as you'd hear it on the news a couple of weeks ago, it's only two of them covering the entire hospital. So, I mean, they'll just call you and be like, hey, um, we have this here. This child, needs, this child needs surgery. Can we send them to clinic? When is clinic? And we're like, yeah, send them tomorrow. And we just got accustomed to that. Okay. So you worked in Jamaica for how long? Um, from 2010 to 2019. So that would have been 10 years. I'd like to say I gave 10 in the pen. Oh, okay. So 
okay, okay. So can you, in that 10 years, and then you kind of pivoted to, did you, did you specialize at any point during those 10 years? I didn't. Um, and it's not through, it's not because I didn't want to. Um, I did. In 20, I, a, uh, I think 2014, I tried to get into the orthopedics program in, um, yeah, as in through KPH and I had an interview, wasn't successful, so I didn't get through. And then the following year, I could have as well. It didn't work out um, at that time. I think I went through the wrong application process the second time because my boss at the time had said, hey, if you had applied through the region at this time, you would have gone through. But you decided to just apply to UA. But there is so much misinformation and for residency programs, especially if you're not at UE, that a lot of times, a lot of us who are in the public system can end up just having to take another year because you didn't follow the right protocols or you don't know the right people or it's, there is a lot that's um, for young doctors who want to, you know, specialize in Jamaica. That it, it, there are lots of boundaries to getting into it if you're not at UA when you're at the forefront of everything. That's really true because even getting the information about apply, applying for DM programs, um, you have to ask around. I think that's the best way to get it. Um, and even the times that you have to apply, if you're staying at your region, you know, you have to apply for a trading post, then you have to apply for the program itself and that kind of information. I think we only recently got it just because during our orientation, our, our SMO had kind of brought it up. Our SMO won't call their name, encourages their staff to you know, go to the program and come back and become specialized and whatnot. So I know a little bit about that. I think that's a good idea for maybe a future part where we talk about how to get into the program here locally. So you applied twice, didn't get through twice. At that point, did you think it was a setback or how did you feel about that? Were you, I don't know, kind of like, uh, this sucks. Uh, for me, uh, how I look on these things is we have to keep we have to keep moving forward. Um, for myself, for my friends, for my peer group, we don't stop moving. So whether it's that we get we 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 progress the way we want or we don't, the the mission is the same. It's advancement of ourselves and an advancement of everyone around us. So um, I did not get through, but I said that, well, this is not for me. Um, and that, a lot of that may be because of the position I put myself into or you know, it's just not things working out in my, in, in my favor. Uh, so it's just about what is the next way forward. And I knew that my next way forward was not me working as a GP until I retire. That's not going to be it because when I finish, so, I mean, I guess we'll go through this, but my trajectory took me through various things. I stopped working in a hospital 2015, I went private and then came back, but um, I was working in a private office at the time and 
I was like, this is not going to be it for me permanently. So what is the next step? And then is when um, all of the U.S. exams came into play, British exams came into play, um, industries outside of clinical medicine came into play. And, you know, I just decided I was going to research, I was going to dig in. It was an everyday thing to try to find my way forward. So at what point did you decide that, nah, this is not it. I need to, I need to leave. Did you decide, was there a moment where you decided I'm going to work in medical legal or was it just, I need to leave Jamaica. I need something else. How, how did you get to that point? There was never a moment that I decided that I was going to leave Jamaica until I decided I was going to leave Jamaica. I actually thought I'd be living in Jamaica all my life. But there, when I did USMLE Step 3, that was in August of 2018 in Minnesota. After that, uh, I just said... Because it was late to apply at that point, and I just realized it was too far in the game for me. Um, by that time, I was eight years post-med school. There are maybe, in all of America, 10 universities or 10 hospitals that will take you 10 years post. And I didn't get an interview for any of them. I didn't apply to any of them. I didn't apply to many of them. Um, the year before, I'd applied to hundreds, spent way too much money. But the, the, there, so to answer your question more directly, there was no real time when I decided that, you know, I'm out of Jamaica, I'm not going to do this again. It just kind of worked out that way. And then knowing that, you know, I had the green card, so I could probably work in something outside of medicine that I wouldn't have to be sponsored because sponsorship is a major thing. Um, when you're talking about working in America, I'm like, you know what, let me see some, let me, let me see if I can fit into something outside of the, the realms of clinical medicine. All right. So we have a lot to unpack here. A lot. <laughs> so, all right. You, a summary, you did the exams, USMLE 1, 2, and 3, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and then, but you're also 10 years post. And then you said, I think, how do I phrase this? I think that, you know, for us, from my perspective, and possibly a lot of other perspectives, it's just, oh, you know, you do these exams, and it's always these exams. The specifics of the exams are sometimes very rarely spoken about you know you do these exams you apply somewhere and then you automatically go into a program you up to know you're still not a specialized physician yeah um for me <clears throat> all right the, the system isn't fixed that way it fixed um and i'm and the system isn't rigged i mean well it's rigged for american medical graduates there's no there's no debate about that. That's not, that's, I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat to say that. Um, most people in America would, would let you know, or people who would like to <clears throat> open their mind to understand the issues with the American system of matriculation for medical students, is that they prefer their U.S. medical graduates. So that's who they want. 
And it's so much that there's some states who do not allow foreign medical graduates in their residence programs. Like, and how you know is because they're like, they don't sponsor H-1B visas. I mean, that's another issue altogether. But you know that you can't get in. Now, for me, like, I had, after I decided that I was coming here, I had let go all, you know, desire to be a specialist in a medical field because it wasn't going to happen. Um, the best time to do it, if you're coming to America, is within the first two or three years, finish your med school. If you don't do that, then you're not going to get through. It won't be easy. I mean, you can get through. People do. But the easiest time is early. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I, I have... Uh, you take the time, you explore your options, and then when you realize that things aren't always going to work in your favor, and you just try to find the best way through. A question I know a lot of persons might be wondering, though, are you able to practice clinical medicine in the States now? No, I can't. Um, I'm not licensed here. Um, mm-hmm. I am, I'm not licensed in Jamaica either because I did not renew my license at the start of this year i could have had enough cmes i could have if i wanted to but so now in my job i act purely as a consultant in things that i practice i mean i did four years of work at bosomanti and i learned so much orthopedics in that time from dr saw and dr blake that i i learned x-rays to the point that i'm reading x-rays now and i'm helping my team prosecute radiologists who can't read x-rays. So, I mean, I pick up things and, and MRIs and CT scans from, because the, the even just as an MO, like where I worked, it was so intense and in a good way that we learned how to manage these things. You learned as an MO how to be the one responsible for everything. So, honestly, working with, you know, Dr. Saw, Dr. Blake for three years. Th- that was a that was a residency program to me. No one can tell me otherwise because we worked and we 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 did everything. All right. No. Okay. So I'm really really interested in knowing how you got where you are now, because I don't. It's like it's like I don't know how to describe it. They don't connect. You're just like okay, you did you did med school, mm-hmm. great. You try to get into the programs that never work out. And maybe also because of some not really having the knowledge or not really having the support that you needed to get in, maybe, I don't know. And then doing USMLE and then now doing this. So let's talk. I know a lot of persons are interested in USMLE. Let's just have a little rundown or not maybe a little, but... <laughs> <laughs> Mo- no, because the truth is, when you talk about USMLE, it's just like, oh yeah, um, go and get, do your DM abroad, just do USMLE, and then you go, okay, but how? And yeah. then there is almost nothing after that, and that was one of, I think, that was one of the main reasons why I, I don't know if you saw that I actually formed a group, a Telegram group. I, I, I see the group. I right. See. And it's like we have persons at different levels of uh, research in it. So my hope was that you could just, if we brought these persons together, then at least 
it would it would break down the it would lessen the research time that you would need. Mm-hmm. So it has maybe about twenty or thirty persons. If you're interested in joining the the group, you can simply send me a DM or an email, and I will send you the link. It's primarily for Caribbean folk, um, so not just Jamaicans, but you know Bahamians, Trinidadians, and so on. But yeah, it, can you just talk to us about your your process about how did you how did you go from deciding to do USMLE to actually doing it? And I know you talked a little bit about British exams. I'm not sure if you did them. I did not do them. The thing is that okay, so I'm a British citizen, so um, doing the British exams would have been really easy for me to matriculate into that process, but I decided against it. So. How did you go from deciding to do USMLE to actually doing the exam? All right. So for me, once I decided, in about, all right, so I graduated in 2010. I wanted to do USMLE in about 2011, but circumstances didn't work out that well for that to happen then. So um, I was at Buster. My contract with Buster Manti started in August of 2012, so it would, be, it would end August 2015. Um, near to the end of it, I had applied twice to get into orthopedics. Um, once was through the regional health authority, one was through university. I was not successful either time. By the end of it, I'd become really disenchanted with the system and that uh, I didn't feel like I had enough guidance. And that's not on, you know, my bosses at the time. That's, I, I said that on me. I did not reach out to get enough information because, if we are to be honest, the information is not out there. Um, there is no information that's out there for us as medical officers or SHOs or interns as to the best way to matriculate through Jamaica's healthcare system, how to get your residency and move forward. So at that point, I decided that I was going to you know, do exams to leave. So it was either England or USA and at the time, I said, I'm a British citizen. I can do the English exams. I've seen so many people do it, but the U.S. exams seem a lot easier because if I did the U.S., I could get straight into a residency program from that. I did not have to go through any system like you'd have to go through in England or in Canada where if you get into those systems, you still have to go and work at the hospital first and then get a, an attending or a consultant to vouch for you, and then you can, you know, you'll get through. But um, the American system on the surface appeared way more, you know, merit-based, meritorious, but it doesn't really bring to light, you know, some of the issues with it, I mean, which are chronicled well. So that is how I, you know, decided to leave that system. Okay. I remember that when you made your tweets, um, you made like a a thread and you saying that you were saying that it's not really based on merit but also really kind of who you know and who you have having to vouch for you type of thing and i know that one of the concerns that persons have now especially international medical graduates is the fact that usmd is now going to be pass fail so now they're saying if it's pass fail now how how will they you know how will i be able to get into these things and whatnot and i've actually heard quite a few people say 
just from my own asking around and what because that's what, one of the best ways to get information is to ask people who have already been through it right they've really just been saying you know you kind of have to i don't want to say no people but you kind of have to also know people as well i can't remember exactly what your what your thread was saying off the top of my head i'll get into it sam you have to know people and you have to know people who know people and it's not to say that there's like nepotism or cronyism in whatever um the U.S. medical system is no different from a lot of other industries in other places, right? So mm-hmm. they they want their own. So if you have done an observership or an elective or a sub-internship at a particular program, you are more likely to get in at a program because you know the people there, they know you, they're more willing to trust you than somebody who they have never met. So... What what ends up happening is that there are some uni- there are some hospitals here. I mean, you have Jackson in Florida, you have like Englewood, um, in uh, Englewood Seton Hall in Jersey, in New York you have Harlem Hospital, you have SUNY Downstate in Brooklyn, um, you have um, Flint McLaren in Michigan. Those are programs where you have end up having a lot of Jamaicans in various specialties at. And Jamaicans and Caribbean. And then you have Tallahassee Regional, where you have a lot of Jamaicans, UA medical graduates there. You have a lot of Jamaicans there. Jamaicans, UA medical graduates. So what happens is that the program coordinators are there and they know the residents there. And the residents are Jamaicans or Trinidadians, St. Lucians, Bayesians. So that creates a pipeline for us. Why? Because the senior residents, the chief residents, the junior attendings are going to be like, this person, I know them. What that does is that it makes the program coordinator a lot more open to interviewing you, which is where it all begins. If you can't get an interview, then you don't have a chance. So if you have more... goes some more to representation, West Indian representation, Caribbean, Jamaican. When you have people there who can vote for you over people, because they are a lot more likely to give someone from America who is not nearly as good a lot of the times as we are coming from Jamaica, they'll give them a chance because they're like, hey, you know, this person went to, you know, Wesleyan or Yale or whatever, UM, UNC. But the thing is that we have one in Jamaica. I mean, there are some offshore places, but I mean, I haven't met any doctors here who are better than we are, and not even close. But they have the connection because they know of them. So when Jamaicans go to these other places and excel, they're like, hey, we got this from Jamaica. So this person interviewing is from Jamaica or wants an interview is from Jamaica. Let's bring them in. So that is why the networking makes a difference that it does. I'm sure just listening to this, um, it's it, it sounds kind of like a daunting, daunting procedure because it's not just saving money and studying. Now you have to think about, all right, how can I get these connections? Who can I reach out to? And I think this is where mentorship comes into play a lot and 
Jason, I'm so sorry for your DMs because you just list off a whole bunch of universities. I know after this, people are going to be like, um, hi, Jason. Um, you know, I'm a whatever, 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 interested in USMLE, trying to look for a university. Is it possible that you can blah, blah, blah? You know, I can see that happening because, yeah, you are, you're, especially because just from what has happened in Jamaica, you seem willing to to give in the information and help help out the youth them a little bit that's that's a definitely um it's my job like when i when i was more of a senior um you know as a medical officer i thought my job then even even as a uh, a final year student i tried to ensure i taught the third years and fourth years and as an intern like i mean even residents know who are probably you know attendings will tell you that you know I, I tried to ensure that they learned. I took them aside and I tried to teach. I think it's a, um, it has to be, it's, it's a group effort. It's a collaborative effort. Like, I can't have this knowledge and not try to impart it to other people. I, I've been through the process. There's, there's no value. There's no sense in, the, in people going through what I went through uh, when they don't have to. So if I can provide an avenue where people can, like, jump the missteps that I made and just go through the important things, then I think, you know, I've been successful because I don't need people to go through what I went through. I want them to just be successful going forward. Okay, so we're still on USMLE. How was, just can you give a breakdown of what the exams are? I know that there are some of us who are absolutely clueless. I was, I think I only recently learned that it's actually three exams. It's, I always thought it was just one multiple choice exam. Four, four exams, Sam. Four, four of them. Wait, it's four? Well, it's, it's three steps, but four exams. Oh, okay. All right. So let's, let's go through them. So now, um, let's go to step one first. Step one, and I have had people in my DMs, um, they, they, they've reached out to me, people in med school, you know, when is the best time to do step one? And I'm saying in third or fourth year if you have parents who are fortunate enough to be able to allow you to get a head start on life that you can get and you can um have you can do your step one in med school do it it's easiest to do it then because it's fresh right when i did step one five years after finishing med school so that's eight years from preclin and I swear to you, so many of the things I learned, I, I didn't, I never learned them in my life. Either that or it was so far gone that I just didn't remember them. So the best time to do it is when it's fresh. No, it's pass fail. So that's great. So you don't have to worry about getting in the 260s or 250s or anything. And then people are getting like 200s or 210s. No, you just pass it. That's fine. It's, it's a pre-clean exam. It's difficult. It takes time. I think step one takes about four to six months of hardcore preparation. And then, of course, you have to do it in America. If you're from if you're from Jamaica, you're going to take a trip to, like, Florida or wherever and go and do it. If you're in Trinidad, Trinidad has centers, has USMLE centers. So they can do it there. And that's for that. For step two, step two has two parts. Step two, CK. Step two, CS. CK, clinical knowledge is like, it's like your MBBS exam. It's like your final year exam. There is nothing in that that you did not learn in MBBS. So it's great to do in final year. 
or internship. And you just do it and get it over with. I, it's not harder than MBBS by any means. And then you have step two CS, which is your clinical skills evaluation, which if you are in med school or are in internship, you do not need to practice for this. You can just, I prep for this in two weeks after being out of med school for, at that point, it would have been like six or seven years. And it was routine. I mean, I practiced on a friend that I was with at the time. I did my examination practice on her in two weeks. Um, there's a first aid book for step two CS. And step two CS honestly checks how empathetic you are, how well you can communicate. And it's very little about, like you don't do your OSCE exam stuff. It's a very focused, you see someone with a DVT, that person comes in with a red mark on their calf and you just examine that and you document it. It's eight hours of attrition. It's not difficult. The only thing you need to ensure that the arrangements are good because it's in Atlanta. It's only in five states and you just, I think it's Georgia, Texas, Pennsylvania, it's in California and Illinois. So, but in Atlanta, there is a hotel that is right there, right by the exam center. Now, if you let them know that you're coming to the step two CS, they give you 50% off. Yeah. Jason, I'm sorry for your DM them. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't think we're finished. Go ahead. All right. So step three, um, step three is different. Step three, generally, you don't have to do that until after your first year of residency. So most people don't do step three before they get into residency, right? I did step three, trying to get into residency as a kind of a Hail Mary, a kind of last hurrah. So I said, you know, screw it. Let me do it. Did it. It's uh, it's two different days, an eight and a six hour exam. It's almost like you are, step three is for people who already have a medical license and they're accustomed to practicing with people. And it's about getting accustomed to the system that they have for you to you know, put stuff in. It's not difficult. None of the US exams are as difficult as what we go through for MBBS. I guarantee. Which is why you have a, a, a very high rate of matriculation for people in Jamaica who want to go who decide they want to go to America and put the time, the effort, the finances into it because the time, the effort and the finances are all necessary. There's something it's an understated thing, right? You spend so much money in trying to do this. You want to give some, I mean, some ballpark figures, like what and what are we necessarily spending on? Sure. Things like that. Sure. So, uh, all right. So your USMLE step one is going to be about, I guess by now it's going to be about $1,000 um, US. Um, your step two CK will be about the same. Your step two CS will be about double probably about two thousand yes step three will be about a thousand five but then in between all that you have to factor in the fact that um whatever resources you're using is going to be an issue you have to pay for those and then there's a travel because you have to do all these in america so you're going to have to pay for your plane trip yeah you're going to, of course your plane fare and your hotel fare for other things so i think the whole process as, and we're not even getting into applying for places and those interviews, you know. 
just to do leave out step three to do step one step two cs step two ck and be able to you know be ready to practice medicine in america as a jamaican you're looking at honestly about six thousand seven thousand us wow that's one basically one year of our school fee well no yeah. no no that's a sponsored that's a sponsor <laughs> if you're sponsored wow so six to seven thousand us of course, that's really expensive that's spread that's... out over a few years of course but yeah yeah it's still expensive if you consider persons who have loans, other bills, children, you know, have to take care of relatives. It's a, that's a pretty chunk of money. It is. And then on top of that, you have to remember, as your first few years as a resident, you're not really making good money. You're making like in, in America up here, especially like in New York, you probably wait to make, your first year you may make like 55000 for the year then. Next year, you may make like what, 58 and then 61. And then it's after you finish residency that you start to make a lot more money. It starts to, you know, shoot up after that. But yeah, I mean, you, as a resident here, you're not making you're not making great money. You have better working conditions than in Jamaica because, of course, they cap the amount of time you can be at a hospital. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, it's, it's tough. It's a struggle, especially in the city itself. Okay. We're about to move on from this conversation. This is about you and alternative pathways, mm-hmm. right? We're not going to get into the residency program um, and all of that in this podcast. We'll maybe address it in our next one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you did all of that now. Mm-hmm. You spent all of that money. And you didn't get into a program. Mm-hmm. How did you transition from... In, how did you transition into where you are now? Because you did all of that. How did it happen? Well, I decided that I was not going to practice medicine in Jamaica in about 2018 or 2019. Uh I, it, it definitely 2018. So by the end of then, uh, I was, I I realized that I was not going to get into residency. Uh, I guess you would call it de jour in in the way that you know was going to be typical that you know Jamaicans we just work 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 and then get into a residency program. It was not going to be that way for me. So I thought that I would come to America, you know, having a green card and just get into an industry, um, get into whether it's a medical assistant role, which is what a lot of Jamaicans end up doing here, medical assistant, and then work there, um, work as an assistant to a doctor at a particular office, get them to write a recommendation letter for you at wherever they studied, and then hope that pushes you, you know, to get an interview when it's time. And, and that that that's tried and true and has worked for many people, for Jamaicans and otherwise. For me, I think at that point when I realized I didn't get through, I just decided that this was not what I'm supposed to be doing. If it was, then I would have gotten it. Otherwise, you know what? Let me try and find another way. So I never even thought of of you know medical legal. What happened was that I thought of more health, uh, the field called health informatics. With health informatics, that's more like, you know, uh, coding, medical auditing, 
stuff like which is a major industry out here. No. So with that, they're talking about, you know, um, whether it's medical liaison work, whether it is just ensuring that the coding, the auditing of all these things is is in line. I actually got a job in California before I got this one. No. Um, that was lined up with a, with a with one of the healthcare agencies over there, but it just didn't it just wasn't as good as this one I have here. So it's it's going to you become if you're like me, you become so hyper focused and driven about how to make it forward. How am I going to do this? All right, this is not my path. No, I'm not going to be treating patients going forward. So what am I going to do? And then with um, healthcare informatics, you start to think about you know what certifications you need. So I mean, there are a bunch of certifications to get, and then there's some that don't require you to have the certifications. I will pay for you to get them. So it's just that in in America. Um, and in places outside of Jamaica, you have so many places that want doctors to work for them, but they don't want, they don't, they want an MD or a medical degree, but they don't need you to be seeing patients day in, day out. So it just kind of made sense. Somebody somewhere just had a, had a, um, what's it called? A light bulb come <laughs> off in their head. When you're just like, wait, I can do other things with my medical degree other than see patients. And I think that for a lot of us, that's all we think we can do with it. Um, just because I have a friend who who um, works in, is a doctor, works in medicine, but more, mostly the tech kind of stuff in medicine. And I'm just like, well, wait, you can do that, you know? And I was just about to ask you, did you have to get, or did you have to study anything else? Did you have to get any more credentials to do what you're doing now? To, to do what I'm doing now? Absolutely not. Um, I mean, I mean, I suppose we'll get into that at some point, but uh, don't need any more credentials than I do now. Um, it's, it's fun. It's, I, I, I I still I study more now than I did when I when I was you know an MO and when I was an MO like when 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 you work with Doctor Saw about like you you work like he's uh, he's the best boss I've ever had um, and when I see him he and I still talk I saw him as in Jamaica in November for a wedding and I saw him there and I spoke extensively I have so much respect for him. Uh, but you work, you work really hard because he pushes you because he wants you to act like you are a program resident. That's his expectation of you, and I respect that. Uh, but, you know, like up here, like for the stuff that I'm doing now, you don't, there's no right now, as in there are other things that I could have been doing that if I was doing them, I would need other certifications. But for this, no, I'm fine. I just, you know, I, I have more access to articles now than I ever did, and I just read those. Okay. So let's go right into that then. How did you get where you are now? What was your process? Okay. Um, my process was I was applying for... So this would have started 20, right after I finished 
step three, which would have been August 2018. I didn't apply to the year before that. I applied to more than a hundred places for USMLE spots after USMLE for spots. I hadn't done step three. And that cost me like applying for places. Um, if it's a lot, will cost you more than 2000 US. Uh, I got no interviews. So it was a waste of time. I mean, for me, because I didn't get anywhere. If it was successful, it wouldn't have been a waste of time. But by the time I'd done step three, I had already come to the realization that there's a very good chance I will not get in. Whether that's a combination of the fact that, you know, throughout med school, I was, I mean, I was a good student. I wasn't the best student by any means, uh, but as a good student, I focused a lot on building the hall. I, I lived on Preston. I was focused on, you know, building the hall and ensuring certain things as in charge of orientation for many years. So when in 2018, end of that year, I decided that, you know, I'm not going to close off any opportunities and just say, you know what, I have to be seeing people. So I started looking on whether it's ZipRecruiter or Indeed or LinkedIn for, and then I Google search for jobs for doctors outside of medicine or non-clinical jobs for doctors. And I started seeing that there was a, a thriving industry. And then I started seeing so many doctors who did not want to practice medicine anymore. And I had a few friends. I mean, you know, talking about guys like Maurice Taylor, who was in, who was, who was president of JAMSA, or, or not president of JAMSA, president of my year's class and, you know, other things. And he had not practiced medicine since he graduated. And he's living in Canada. He's happy. I saw him one time at, at Strictly 2K, and he and I spoke briefly. He just seemed happy. And I'm like, wow, okay. And then I saw other people who were very happy having their degree and not practicing medicine. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I could do this, but, you know, let's keep this medicine thing here just in case we want to do this. And I I just started searching. And me, the person I am, I'm extremely driven. Uh, I, I don't really need anyone to push me to do anything. Um, I just said, you know what, let's... And, I let's just go. And I just kept going down a rabbit hole over and over and over. And, you know, trying to see various job opportunities, whether it's in the US or Canada or UK, Australia, Greece. I've seen them and I and I was emailing like Sam, I promise you. Um I applied for at least a thousand jobs in within medicine whether it's a business aspect of medicine, talking like venture capital, like big pharma, stuff like that. And I got more than 500 no's, but you know, you, you get one yes or two yeses and that's it, that's all you need. You know, you just, you, you, you shoot your shot and you know, if you, you, all you need is one person to believe in you. And I was lucky enough to get that. Wow, I'm just, I think, I think we don't talk about it enough that there are other there are other things you can do because even I think even for me it's just like all right, I'm not I'm not really into ward medicine, I can't, I can't deal with it, 
right? Word medicine is not for me. But then, you know, you start thinking about private practice. And then private practice is just like, hmm, you know, okay, private practice, whatever, whatever. And then for persons who, who aren't really happy with either of those things, when you start thinking about, okay, what are my alternatives? It gets a little bit more difficult. Most of us don't really know, or a lot of us don't really know persons who, as you said, have studied medicine and, and are no longer doing it. And then we don't really know what else is out there. And another thing is maybe some of us don't want to leave Jamaica. You get me? I don't know. It's like, and I don't, I'm not sure if you'd know much about that, but if I don't want to leave Jamaica, what are my other options? Working as a, working as something else in medicine, but not seeing patients. I don't really know. Fair. Um, well, let me say this. Um, because that's there's a lot there that I, I, I guess we can unpack. Let me say that uh, five years ago, I would have never imagined that I would leave Jamaica. Not five, six. In 2014, never. I thought I would have spent every day in jamaica for the rest of my life you know jamaica nice yo now leave but the reality is that uh for doctors in jamaica if you if we don't start to think outside of the of the bubble a little bit outside of the box then we're a lot of us are going to be unhappy like i mean i have friends who have decided to they go to other industries. Uh, my friend uh, Natalie Walsh, she's with Sagicore doing very well now. You have other people who are uh, Leighton, um, Lantern, Dr. Miles. He's he was really deep into you know his residency. But I told him when we were very fresh from it because he was my you know, we were in the same year as I Leighton, you're you're going to be one of the best DJs in the Caribbean. That's what you need to focus on. But not everyone will have their niche market like what he has. He's a, you know, he's a testament to you know, rising above and moving on. Leighton is great. Uh, but for us who don't have those skills, those great talents outside of medicine, it's just a, how are we going to take our medical knowledge or skills that we've learned in these five years and find a way to move forward? Not as easy. Jamaica and the Caribbean on a whole has not created avenues for us to use our medical degree outside of medicine. And that's that, that that's a shame that it is. That's that's what happens with a third world country. In developing countries, in developed countries, that's there. Um, I guess what I would say is don't feel like, don't, don't settle for what you are in now just because you think it's the only way forward. I think then you end up doing a disservice to yourself and then by, by you know, extension to your patients. You need to know that, all right, this is what we're going, this, this is what I want to do. I want to treat patients or I want to practice medicine. Then how am I going to be most effective? Is it going to be inpatient care? 
is seeing patients day in, day out for me. I did it for 10 years and I, I, I could still do it, but after a while, I mean, what's the value? I mean, I love doing it. You get a, you get a steady, I'm not going to say a great, you get a steady paycheck. And then, you know, the whole private practicing in Jamaica is, is a sham. Like, if you don't know the ins and outs of private, like I did private practice for a year while doing different things. And there are certain ills to this that are very much unknown and not discussed as much as they should be because you need to understand all the ills that come with private practice before you decide that this is what you want to do. Now, anyway, to get back to my point, I think there needs to be more open spaces where we can, where, and, it's, and it needs to be encouraged for, you know, older, more senior doctors to talk to, and doctors, you know, like yourself, other doctors who are just finishing med school in internship. So there's a pathway because the the system at UE now where you have, you know, your academic advisor is outdated. It's archaic. And it's just going towards, I guess, you get to enter residency program. But what if you, what if residency is not for you? Residency isn't for half of the doctors in the program. Because in, in med school, because we all have, you know, different things we want to do in our lives. So uh, I, I think that's where we need to start as to the guidance of young doctors into knowing the best way forward. All I could think about when you were talking is, you know, AIM, Nicole McLaren Campbell's AIM. Yeah, well, I don't know it, but uh, yeah, also. A medicine version of AIM, where basically I think what she does, I've never used it because um, obviously I studied here, is she kind of facilitates persons who want to go abroad to study <laughs> to get so and do it affordably and whatnot. Um, right mm -hmm. so i was just like hmm because i just i just know i just know that people are going to be asking you because we don't know where to get this information and i'm just thinking here like wow how can we get this information out there i'm trying to do my part as best as possible you know that's really the point of this mm -hmm. but at the same time you're right we need to kind we need to encourage doctors to talk about it and 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 move past that whole advisor thing i don't even think i don't know who my advisor was in med school me neither so i, I don't really i don't really know much about that um but just a touch on the private practice thing you said sham what do you mean by that sam it's a sham right yeah. <laughs> uh, leave the rhyming out. No, look. Right? <laughs> so I was working in somebody else's practice for a year. And it was good. I, it's only a year? I feel like it was more. It may have been more. Anyways, no, no, actually, probably closer to two years. No. What they did was that it was 50 50. Like any patients that came in, like I got 50% of whatever procedure I did or the visit. So the visit would cost like, you know, so like two grand, two five, I get half of that, whatever. Um, 
And then, of course, after all that, that all gets taxed and you have to report it and all of that. So the sham of it all was that I was at a very reputable place in Portmore. So my volume was high. Now, I was working in somebody else's practice. Now, if you want to start your own practice, that's difficult. So, you know, like when I say a young lady is like what, like Jay Jeffrey, you know, Dr. Jeffrey, um, she and I have spoken a bit recently. And she's been, her mobile medical thing has been amazing. And I encourage people to, you know, you know, donate so that children can, you know, get the medicals. But to get people to get patients when you're private, like it's, so difficult because it's like after a while it's like you're pitching your services you're like why should i it's like you're trying to tell them why they should trust you with their life and if you are a young doctor like two three years old to med school in rightfully so like why should they trust you with their life so you have to find a medical system or you have to find a medical practice or something where people are going to believe in you and uh, they either believe in you or they don't. They want you there. And then it just depends on your client retention skills. And then people become so, you know, extremely uh, picky about, all right, they like this, they like that, they don't like this. And, but if they like you, they're going to bring their entire family to you. So, I mean, I was working in Portmore at the time. And I had a lot of repeat clients and people who would call me at off hours and people who only want to see me. Uh, and that's more because of, I guess, my ability to talk to them and interact with them rather than, you know, my medical skills. I mean, I, I think I'm still pretty good medically, but it's there are so many things about a private practice that you don't learn in med school. Like there's there's a human there's a human relations marketing aspect of things that you do not know in med school, because in med school, a lot of the times you end up just being. Lots of medical students end up being, you know, a bit arrogant and pompous. And I mean, I guess that's what medicine teaches you. But outside of that, it's about developing your skills as a human and ensuring that you know how to be a business person. That's what a private practice is about. And if you don't master that, you're not going to be very successful. Well, there are a few topics there that need to be talked in each of them would be like an hour conversation or more because we are definitely approaching that one hour mark and a lot of things have been touched just on the surface but i think that you have given us a really good uh, synopsis maybe not synopsis we've gotten a really brief summary of how you did what you did, even from just listening and talking to you and getting a few more ideas about things that we can talk about and whatnot. But I really want to thank you for sharing this valuable information with us. And boy, Jason, I'm so sorry for your DM them. I, I apologize in advance for your DMs because I know you're going to be like... Oh, yeah, just DM me if you have any more questions, blah, blah, blah. You know, but either way, I think you've already put yourself out there on Twitter. Yeah, man. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, how I see it is that, you know, if I can if I can get people to ask, because I've had people DMing me and asking, you know, about the US system, 
if I can get more people to be more educated and to take their future into their own hands, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, talk and, you know, dialogue, whether it's, you know, through WhatsApp, through Twitter, through video chat, Zoom, uh, Google Suites. I'm willing to do it. I think it's, it's, it's a way that I can give back. I mean, I'm giving back in other ways, but um, I'm 10, 11 years in now. I think it's more about ensuring that doctors are coming up now have a much clearer path than we did 10 years ago. So, I mean, you know, doctors like yourself, other doctors, you know, who are just finishing now, you guys, you know, it's it's about creating an avenue that we can have this discussion. And it's it's not, it's not you know, uncomfortable. I try to be as welcoming as I can. So, you know, that's what I do. All right. So how can we reach out to you? All right. Um, easiest way is on Twitter, Flasnose, um, F-L-A-S-S-K-N-O-W-S. It, it goes off of um, Bo Jackson from Sports Bonos. That was a popular thing in the early 90s. Yes, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, old. yeah. Sam, you weren't born. Is, 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 Sam, you weren't, you weren't born now, were you, Sam? Yeah. I was born in 95, sir. Oh, my God. You, are not born. you don't know about that, but that's all. No. <laughs> so I'm just telling you. But, anyways. <laughs> but, yeah, you know. Um, or on IG at I am Flassman. Or you can email me, jason2k10 at gmail.com. I'm very open to receiving emails, texts from people, from young doctors, whether they're finished med school or in med school, wanting to know the best way to go forward. Because I didn't have it, and it's so important because it helps to kind of guide you to your way forward. So I'm available for that kind of stuff. For me, it's just about ensuring the doctors have have a voice because mm-hmm. you know I think we have not had a voice and people have the wrong idea with us. I'm not excusing bad behavior on the part of some people. I'm just saying that I think we as a collective need to kind of band together and ensure that we are all moving forward in the same direction because you know it's 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 tough you know and it's 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 a lot of work so i just want the best for everyone okay thank you again so much jason this was a very informative conversation if you're listening to this podcast and you liked it please share it with your friends please rate it and leave a review if you want to reach out to me you can always Follow me, message me on Twitter at The Layman's Doctor, which is at The Layman's DR, or you can email me at The Layman's Doctor at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening. I'm really excited. And Jason, it sounds like you will be coming back on this pod. So just waiting for that. Just call me. You have my number, right? Just call me. I'm good. I'm here. Okay, great. Thank you again so much. Until next time.